Go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 5. Following can be complicated. Even just using the word follow is complicated. What do you mean when you use the word follow? Here's just a few of the many different definitions. Go or come after, move or travel behind, like she went back into the house and Tom followed her. Happen after as a consequence, raucous laughter followed the witty remark. Have a dish or course after another in in a meal. Turkey was followed by dessert, as it always should be. Act according to an instruction or precept. He has difficulty in following written instructions. Treat as a teacher or guide. Christians are those who seek to follow Jesus Christ. Pay close attention to something. I've been following this discussion closely. Track on social media. I don't follow many celebrities on Twitter anymore. Understand the meaning or tendency of a speaker or argument. I still don't follow you. Undertake or carry out. She followed a strict diet. Did you follow all of that? (laughs) The word can mean lots of things to lots of different people. So when you start talking about following something, it's important to establish what you mean. Clearly, following requires a definition. And if you would like to follow along, you can pull out your insert and write down different blanks to fill in. This is the first one. Following requires a definition. So which definition are we talking about this morning? Let's read our passage together and see. Uh, You're hopefully open to Luke 5. We're going to read the first 11 verses together. And let's stand as we do in honor of God's word. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw, that's Galilee, by the way, the uh, Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking to Simon, he said, or when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the call that you put out to Peter. Um, God, let us be attentive this morning to what you have to say to us. Let us be attentive to your words, to your call on our hearts and lives this morning. God, help us uh, just to focus here, focus on you as we dive in. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So what type of following is the Bible talking about here? It's clearly not talking about undertaking or carry out uh, or tracking on social media, right? Rather, it's talking about two different types of following. Coming after, which, were, which is what the crowds were doing, and treating as a teacher or guide, which is what the disciples were doing. Now, we're going to be getting much deeper into this passage, but before we do, I want to be sure we're clear on our definitions, because a different definition can change everything. How often do we think about what it means to follow? Do we use these definitions interchangeably? Think about what you mean as you may say, follow me on Instagram, or on Twitter, or on Snapchat, on Facebook. Are you following this news story? Do you follow politics, politicians, political issues? I'm following this new clothing trend or this fad or the latest in pop culture. Are you following this actor's career, this actress's love life? What sports do you follow? What teams? What players? Are you following March Madness? Are you following this band or this singer? I follow Jesus. Now, as long as we keep these definitions straight, we're fine. But mixing them up can have serious consequences. Let's take something as simple as follow me on Instagram. It's great to be able to keep up with someone via social media, to track what they're up to. But there's obviously a difference between follow me on Instagram and Jesus' call to follow me. But what if someone follows Jesus the same way they follow someone on Instagram? Oh, I'll just check up on Jesus every now and then. What's he up to? Oh, cool, a little motivational quote. I'm going to share that. It's been a little while since I checked in on Jesus. Let's see what he's up to. That's not what Jesus was asking for. That's not what following him should be. In the same way, what if someone follows someone on Instagram the same way they should be following Jesus? Instead of pray without ceasing, It becomes Instagram without ceasing. They're checking in multiple times a day. They're memorizing posts. They're sharing posts with everyone they can. Hey, have you heard about this person on Instagram? You should start following him or her. It's changed my life. It can change yours too. Sure, it sounds a little ridiculous, but it's not too far-fetched, is it? In fact, that's a struggle that many of us face. What started as tracking on social media soon turned into someone you are treating as a teacher or a guide. So an encouragement to you is to evaluate what you follow and how you follow it. Are things being given more attention than they should be? When you say, I follow Jesus, what does that mean to you? In fact, this is one of the questions that you have uh, to, to ponder, to pray over, to discuss. Now, whether you're in a community group or not, I, I encourage you to go over these questions on your own. But if you're not in a community group, I encourage you to plug in with one. Because it gives reserved time every single week for you to dive in deeper into these. All right. Back into our passage in Luke. The crowds followed Jesus. Outside of the negative reception in Nazareth, Jesus was becoming more popular and more well-known. People were seeking him out. 
going back into chapter 4, look at how the crowds follow Jesus. Verses 36 and 37, they were all amazed and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Verse 40, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. Verse 42, and the people sought him and came to him. In our passage, verse 1, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. See, they were following him, but they weren't treating him as a teacher or guide. Many were just coming after Jesus, moving or traveling behind. Where's he going? That's where I'm going to go. It's a different kind of following. But how the disciples followed was very different. Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything. They were making him a teacher or their guide. Luke is very clearly making the difference between how the crowds follow and how the disciples follow. See the difference and evaluate how you're following. So you see that even before we really get into the passage, following requires a definition so we know what we're talking about. Next, following requires a leader. Following requires a leader. In the previous chapter, Jesus has been establishing his authority, his role, and his purpose Here in this passage is the first time he puts that authority to the test. He asks others to do things, to follow him. He's now establishing himself as a leader. See, follow isn't a command that stands on its own. It requires an object. The commands sit or listen don't need an object. But the command clean... Well, clean what? Clean how? It requires an object. The command follow also requires an object. Now, sometimes we can figure out from the context what the object is without it needing to be said. Grace, if I said follow, and I started walking, you would know I meant follow me, right? Now, whether you actually did or not is an entirely different story, but you would understand Oh, he's talking about follow me. But you can't be told to follow without knowing what or who to follow. If you're told to follow, it's natural to ask, well, follow what? Follow who? So again, Jesus is establishing himself as a leader by inviting others to follow. Look back in our passage. Look at verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. Jesus is putting himself in the leadership role in a simple way, by asking Peter to do something. And it's implied that Peter does what Jesus asks. Now look at verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Now, we're going to come back to this shortly, but again, Jesus is putting himself in the leadership role by asking something of Peter. And then in verse 10, 
And Jesus says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. For a third time, Jesus puts himself in the leadership role by telling Peter what Peter will be doing. Now, one thing I want you to notice here is that as Jesus is leading, he's doing so through word and deed. Just as we've seen him do many other things, but in both word and deed, uh, establishing his authority, he's also leading through both word and deed. He takes time to teach the people. Verse 3 says, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. But then he performs a miracle and leads through that miracle as well. And we'll come back to that soon. But then he comes back to word again. Verse 10, Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. He's giving Peter assurance. Peter, I've got you. I know it's scary to take this step and follow me, but you don't need to worry. This is another marker that Jesus is a leader worth following. Now, as Dave and I have said throughout this series, what we learn about Jesus is not intended to be an example to follow. So as we're looking at Jesus as a leader, we're not there to glean ideas about leadership. Now, does the Bible speak about leadership? Yes. Are many of us given the gift of leadership and called to be leaders? Yes. Are there plenty of examples of leadership in scripture that we are meant to follow? Yes. But Luke is not recording this encounter for us to see how Jesus leads and strive to lead in the same way. Rather, Luke records this in many other encounters for his readers to see Jesus as a leader worth following. In this instance, Jesus shows he is worth following through the miraculous catch of fish. He gives the assurance with his words, and he proves he is worthy of being followed in many other ways throughout the book of Luke and throughout all of Scripture. Ultimately, Jesus shows he is worthy of being followed simply by being God. The God that is near and not far off. The God that desires the best for us. The God that sacrificed everything for us. And so as we see this, I want you to just fall in love with this leader. This isn't about leading and learning to lead. This is about learning to follow. So following requires a leader. But inherently obvious is that following requires a response. As I said earlier, I, I can say follow to grace. So what I'm asking you is easily understood, but whether you get up and follow me or not is an entirely different matter. By beginning to follow, you have responded. You have said yes to the invitation. This is what Luke is wanting us to see. He, <coughs> excuse me. He is showing us how Peter responds to Jesus' invitation. And he's wanting us to see it as an example to follow. Now let's look how Peter responds. So first, Jesus asks Peter to get in a boat and push out a little bit from land. Peter does it. Jesus asks Peter to put the nets down. Peter does. Now Peter's obedience in both of these instances is a really big deal. And we're going to come back to that shortly. 
But then upon seeing the miraculous catch, Peter responds with repentance and humility. Peter sees the majesty and power of the one in front of him. He realizes his own inadequacy and he responds by humbly repenting. Not repenting of a specific sin, but acknowledging that he is a sinner. You can see the shift in the different titles that Peter uses for Jesus. In verse 5, Peter calls Jesus Master. But then in verse 8, Peter calls Jesus Lord. As one commentator put it, it is the master whose orders must be obeyed, but the Lord whose holiness caused moral agony to the sinner. In fact, Luke is likely making a nod to another encounter that brought about quite a similar response. Notice the progression of events in our passage. Peter sees something miraculous He realizes his own unworthiness and humbles himself. Jesus calls him now to live his life for Jesus. And Peter changes the direction of his life. Let me read to you out of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah is seeing something miraculous. Look at his response. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew over to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. In both this passage and in our passage, we receive instruction on how to respond to God's call. It begins with repentance. Recognizing your sinful state and need for a savior. And God is ready to extend forgiveness and grace. Then you follow God's call. You tell others about him. You live the rest of your life completely differently on his terms, not yours. Now we're going to talk about this again later this morning. But if you haven't responded to Jesus, I want you to consider this. See that Jesus is worth following. Your response should be repentance and following his call. Now, Peter's response changes the entire direction of his life. Now, the last time you started following someone on social media, did it change the entire direction of your life? I certainly hope not. This is a different kind of following. Again, Peter is treating Jesus as a teacher or a guide. 
Luke makes it really clear that this is a turning point for Peter. Jesus says, from now on, you'll be catching men. It's a turning point. It's a change. Before uh, this passage and in the beginning of this passage, this guy is called Simon. And in this passage, he's called Simon Peter. And after this passage, throughout most of the rest of Luke, there's a few times where he's called Simon again. But for the most part, he is now called Peter. There's a shift. It even says in chapter 6, verse 14, Simon, whom he named Peter. There's a change that happens there. Also, we use this word catch twice. It says in verse 4, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And then in verse 10, Jesus says, from now on you will be catching men. Now it's the same word for us. But in the Greek, they're two entirely different words. The, the, the word for catch in verse 4 is basically just along the ideas of catching something. Whereas in verse 10, it's more about bringing under control. It's the same word uh, that's used in James 3.7 when it's talking about taming the tongue and bringing it under control. It has this idea of being caught alive. This is a totally different kind of catching, a complete career change. Now, what does this idea of catching men even mean? Now, many of you grew up in church and you're like, oh yeah, catching men. But stop and think about it for a little bit. Get out of your churchy mindset and think about this concept. Catching men? Peter's understanding, like, with a net? Maybe with a rod and reel? Like, I, I don't... Catching men? But you can clearly see throughout the rest of Luke's narrative in both the book of Luke and the book of Acts what he means by that, what Jesus means by that. It's about bringing people in. It's about bringing them to Jesus. Similar with the, the idea, my, my dad was an engineer for 30 years. And, in, and when I was six, I, I said, Dad, someday, could I come to work with you? I want to ride on your train. He's an engineer. That's what my mind understood. Now, I had to learn and understand that there's different kinds of engineers. Right? An engineer can mean a couple of different things. And I was severely let down. I did go and visit him, and I was like, well, this is a bummer. <laughs> Same word, but something completely different is happening. Catch, same word, something completely different is happening. Peter's response changed the entire direction of his life. This doesn't necessarily mean that when you come to Jesus, you need to throw your life's plans out the window. You could continue in the same direction. But the huge difference is what, drive, what is driving every step. Instead of being a lawyer to make loads of money and have job security, now you're being a lawyer to be a light in dark places, to bring honesty into your work, to show people Jesus. Following requires a response. Next, following requires humility. We've already seen the correct response from Peter. 
But it's also important to see that he needed a right attitude during this whole process. The worst followers are proud. They're self-confident. Think about the backseat driver. No, uh, you should really get over now. That, I told you, see, you missed your turn. And so on. For Peter to follow, he had to humble himself. Let's look at these verses again. Verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. Peter had to be exhausted. He had been up all night fishing. He'd finally come in. He was done for the day. The last thing he wanted to do at that point was to get back into the boat. But he humbly obeyed. And then Jesus tells Peter to put out the nets for a catch. Now Peter is an expert fisherman. So Jesus' suggestion was really out there. This is a carpenter telling a fisherman how to fish. And Peter clearly had a hard time with this. He said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Then he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, the type of nets they used at this time were used at night because the fish could see them during the day. That's why they fished at night. If they fished during the day, the fish would see the nets and avoid them. And so the suggestion to toss this out was out there. And also, they had been working hard all night, and their lack of fish had nothing to do with a lack of skill. They were professionals. So this ask from Jesus was crazy. It made no sense. But Peter humbled himself. Maybe because of how he saw Jesus help his mother-in-law. Maybe because of Jesus' teaching that he gave from Peter's boat. Maybe it was just God working in Peter's heart. Whatever the reason, Peter had to humble himself to be able to follow. And when Peter humbled himself, he saw a miracle that blew him away. Peter's reaction, just utter astonishment, is because this is something he knew. This in his eyes was truly a miracle. It belonged to his calling. It took place on his vessel with his fishnet after his own fruitless endeavors in his immediate presence. Now, sure, his mother-in-law being healed was a miracle, but not to the same level. He didn't understand medicine. He understood fishing. He knew that those nets should have come up completely empty. He knew that. It's easy to follow in an area you don't understand. It's way harder to follow when you feel like you know better. But that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. I'm happy to give leadership and control to someone that's leading a quilting class or a cooking class or a makeup tutorial. Not my areas of expertise. But to follow someone inexperienced in an area that I have experience or knowledge, that's difficult. Uh, Jamie, it would be tough for me to let you show me how to play disc golf. It would. Not saying anything about your skills or whatever, but 
This is something that, that I know well. But this is what God is asking of us when we follow him. And it's a lifelong struggle. We feel like we know how life should be lived. Sure, often when we come to Jesus, we come humble. We saw Peter do this. We saw Isaiah do this. But it's often in one area that we're ready to humble ourselves. And we want to hang on to other areas. God, I'll follow you, but I'm not giving up blank. There are things where we think we know best. And that's the struggle of fully humbling ourselves. That's where I'm so thankful for the example of Peter. To see him humble himself when it made absolutely no sense to do so. It gives me an example to follow. Something to strive after. Finally, following requires focus. Once you're following, how do you continue to follow? You need to focus. You can't follow what you don't see. Imagine me asking you to follow me and then handing you a blindfold. I was up in San Francisco with a a group of students, uh, and we were all walking down the street following someone in front. And uh, someone that was right in front of me was looking to the side as they were walking, and boom, right into a light post. Now, they turned out to be okay. (laughs) And I didn't get the opportunity to grab her before she ran into it. But clearly her focus wasn't where it should be. (laughs) Which uh, meant she wasn't doing a good job following. Now, for these guys, following meant leaving something behind. Verse 11. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left what they knew. They left what they were good at. They left their careers. They left their entire life's trajectory. They left everything, including that huge catch. This was a huge stack of money that they were leaving behind. As one commentator says it, it said, leaving all that had been of value, they will now find their fundamental sense of belonging and being in relationship to Jesus, the community being built around him, and the redemptive purpose he serves. Whether they knew all of that at that time or not, and they probably didn't, they knew that there was something about Jesus that was worth following. That was worth getting rid of any and all distractions. Again, this is here to teach us. And for many of us, we need to get rid of distractions and be able to focus on following Jesus. What's distracting you? What do you need to leave behind or set aside? Lent just started on Wednesday, and for those that don't know, Lent is a period of 40 days before Easter uh, that people use to fast, to focus on Jesus, to give something up in order to identify with his time in the desert. But maybe you use this time from now to Easter to leave something behind. But with the purpose of focusing on Jesus. Don't give up something distracting just to replace it with another distraction. I'm going to lessen my time on social media. You know, honey, you've been playing a lot more video games recently. Set aside something with purpose. 
The point of focus is that you're no longer looking at these other things. They're not in your peripheral vision anymore. Following requires focus. Following requires a definition. It requires a leader. It requires humility. It requires focus. But ultimately, following requires a response. We saw Peter's response. And it's there for us as as an example to learn from. Peter repented. He heard Jesus' call. He completely changed the trajectory of his life. Flip Flip over to the end of Luke. Luke chapter 24. We're going to end here. These are some of the last words that Jesus had for his disciples. Look at Jesus' invitation. Luke chapter 24. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We are invited to repent. We are invited to receive forgiveness. We are invited to proclaim his name to all. Jesus invited you. You can repent. You can receive forgiveness. You can follow him. Last Sunday, we had four people get baptized. They made a decision to follow Jesus. They repented. They received forgiveness. They are now following him. What about you? I know that many of you have been following Jesus for a long time. Your invitation is to press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called you heavenward. Some of you have been faking it for a long time. You've never really responded. Today is the day to start following. The same is true for you if you've never even considered following Jesus. He's inviting you. He's asking you to repent, to receive forgiveness, to follow him. Now, Finally, there are some of you who squirmed when I said, God, I'll follow you, but I'm not giving up blank. There's something you've been holding on to that you need to give over to Jesus. His plan is better than yours. Today is the day to humble yourself, to surrender that over to Jesus. We're going to play a couple songs while you have opportunity to respond. The invitation has been put before you. Now is your time to respond. And what I would invite you to do, if you're wanting to respond, I'd invite you to come up to the front, sit or kneel before the cross, and someone will come and pray with you. There's nothing magical about coming up front, but it's just a way of saying, 
I want to follow Jesus. And we'll have someone come and and lay their hands on you and pray over you. Today is the day to follow Jesus. God, as people are sitting and wrestling with the idea of responding, God, give them the courage to stand up, the courage to come forward, the courage to leave everything else behind and follow you. Just like these fishermen did. They abandoned everything to follow you. God, Peter even abandoned what made sense because of what your words were to him. Let the nets down for a catch. That made no sense to him. But because Jesus said it, he did it. God, help that to be our very heart as well. In Jesus' name.